0: In a world where modern media pushes the bounds of imagination, two men embark on a journey to discover lost heroes, daunting villains, and heart-wrenching conflict. Join them in their quest in the never-ending narrative. Hey guys, it's, uh, Never Any Narrative. I'm Matt Yeager. And again, just like last week, uh, unfortunately, our, our co-host Pat Osmick is out having adventures of his own, which we're really happy and excited for. Uh, but today, what we have brought to you is, uh, a guy that I think you actually, you all might know a little bit because this guy, his name is Zach Morin and he actually provides the art that we use at Never Any Narrative. Uh, he, He's provided every piece of art that you see that's associated with us on our Twitter and on our Facebook and on our website, and I really like it a lot. And so I think that uh, because most of you have have said that you like it a lot, uh, you know him a little bit too, the little, little spaceman, Zach Morton. Say hi, Zach. How's it going, guys? Thanks for having me, Matt. Uh, I'm really excited to have you here. Uh, Zach has been an old buddy of mine from man how long ago has it been oh goodness we're up at least five maybe even six years now (laughs) easily yeah um we're we're good old uh buddies who have actually never met in physical form true enough uh though we did occupy the same geographical space and time uh but didn't know it at the time
1: yeah little did we know for sure
0: little did we know that we were attending the same conference and then a couple of years later would become good friends or actually less than a year later um but yeah so Zach Morin is uh, my buddy out in Colorado and I brought him over here to talk to you guys and to each other about things that impact us in stories things that uh that really how would you describe it Zach like something not just tear jerkers but beyond that
1: yeah just you know anything that regardless of what medium you know we're getting into here just really you know on such an emotional level like kind of rocked rocked your world or your psyche or whatever else it was trying to change and impact for you there
0: yeah something that just hit you hard in the chest or made you a little bit sentimental or made you uh cry that single manly tear down your cheek as you're watching something with your friends and you Maybe you don't want them to realize that you're a big baby who's bawling on the inside. <laughs> or you can bond over admitting to those manly tears sometimes, too. Who knows? You could. You could just, like, hit the pause button and be like, guys, guys, just give me a minute, please. <laughs> um. Yeah, so those kind of things. Exactly. Uh, so let's just jump right into it. Let's do it. And talk about some stuff. Uh, The first thing on my list is actually from my all-time favorite movie. Uh, It's called Captain's Courageous, and it's based off a Rudyard Kipling book called Captain's Courageous, obviously, Uh, where it's an old black and white film. Uh, The main character is played by Spencer Tracy, a big-name actor back then, and it follows this this little boy, not Spencer Tracy, he comes later, uh, who's kind of like a brat. He's got a rich dad. And he he's just spoiled to the core. And he's on this cruise ship and eventually gets shipwrecked and comes onto this fishing boat where you meet Spencer Tracy's character. Um, his name has escaped me now, unfortunately. I'll remember it in a minute. But anyways, uh, so he comes into this fishing boat, but the fishing boat can't uh, come back to shore, so they can't drop him off because they're on their fishing tour. And so along the way, he learns... What it means to be a fisherman, what it, what the real men attributes uh, like honesty and not cheating your way to getting a win, and you know being being tough when when you don't have a choice to not be tough. All these kinds of things that he's learning. Oh, Manuel is the is the character's name, and Manuel is a uh, I believe a Portuguese sailor that kind of befriends the kid and looks out for him. And long story even longer uh he learns all these things and he becomes a very you know he becomes very attached to the whole ship uh crew as a whole and to manuel very specifically and towards the end they they drop him off back in boston and but he doesn't want to go he wants to stay on the ship and he wants to be a fisherman and he wants to stay with manuel because they've created such a bond and it, you know that's just that's normal movie storytelling none of that's very out of the ordinary but it it really uh, affected me as a kid like you know when you see this as younger and you see that this Brad is like learning what it really means to be a person and all these you know really good values and whatnot and you kind of create a, a link with Manuel as well since you know I watched it as a kid this kid's learning you kind of create that link as you go along and it just you know towards the end I was just like I don't want to go either Manuel I want to stay and fish with you all the rest of my life you know yeah you got to kind of
1: join in with that coming of age story
0: yeah, it, those, I think a lot of those coming of age stories just kind of have always resonated because you just kind of feel like there's the idea of like changing so much and becoming just such a better person and, and life becoming more bright and whatnot that really attaches to your emotions. hmm.
1: Particularly if you're even close or sometimes not even close to the age of the particular
0: coming of age character. Right. Or even, uh, in my case I wonder if this was a little bit too, is that, you know, I grew up with a with a single mom. And, you know, so not having a father father there, you know, you probably connect a little bit more even to the father figure in the in the film and in the story.
1: Yeah, I definitely definitely have to agree that
0: that could certainly happen. So that's just kind of like one of your generic connections feels and whatnot. Um hopefully we get a little bit more intense as these uh, examples go on. Uh, Zach, do you have one? Yeah,
1: certainly. Uh, one of my favorite books. you know, I got. I by no means like to rank my, my books or movies or shows or anything like one, two, and three, but just kind of in, in a lump of those couple favorites. Sure. And uh, one of my favorite books has got to definitely be Ender's Game. You've told me you guys have talked about that in podcasts in the past here.
0: We have. Uh, both me and Pat have read them. Uh, I don't know how recently Pat read it, but I've read it. I think within the last year, year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, because actually, a mutual friend of your and mine, Jared, was the one who recommended it to me.
1: So only within uh, the past year did you actually take the time to read it? Oh yes, oh, I, I loved it. Oh, that's fantastic! Yeah, definitely one of my my favorites of all time. And so,
0: what parts really stuck out to you?
1: Well, for me, I mean, just the. Fact that Ender was completely dragged out of his element, and well, I mean, actually, it turned out to entirely be his element. But throughout the book, just the way that his mind is able to work and wrap around everything around him, and like beat the expectations of himself, his peers, and even like the teachers and instructors from the battle school. But mm-hmm. then at the end, even for all of his kind of his knowledge and you know expertise and prowess, uh, barring spoiler, are we are we touchy
0: on spoilers here? On the uh, podcast. we'll just say right now: uh, big spoilers for Ender's Game.
1: Fair enough. Big spoilers for Ender's Game. If you haven't read it yet, just stop the podcast now. Go, go get it, <laughs> or sk- skip a couple minutes ahead. Who knows? Here,
0: yeah, go like wash dishes for like three or four minutes. Exactly.
1: So towards the end, when it is revealed when he's in Commander School, just like how like much they've been manipulating and using him, even with his level of intellect and smarts that he'd built up throughout the entire book he wasn't even really able to see it coming, and just the, like, you know, you got those classics, so you've got, you know, those connection moments that are sentimental and impactful, but you also have those, like, epic twists that books and movies and anything else are gonna throw your way, and Ender's Game, for me, was one of those ones where it was just truly, like, mind-boggling not only in the way it flipped it around, but for Ender and everyone else in the book, like, the, like, basically the true, like, loss of life was, like, a really impactful thing, too. Like, he he was truly like fighting a war and sacrificing both people on his side and destroying people against him. And it was just a very like sobering kind of impactful moment.
0: Yeah. And you know, you feel because they did such a good job of showing how he figured things out, like in, in his own mind, like it wasn't just like in a movie where a a problem is presented and one of the characters just, Oh, well, here's the solution. Like it, it was, you get, you got to see how his mind worked and like, um, what he was thinking about, what was most important to him. And the, and then you start realizing towards the end when things get revealed that there was such a curtain put in front of him that he could only see so many things. And it, it skewed his view yeah. to an, a point that once the, uh, the curtain was taken away, it was it was just such a like a shock to his system mm-hmm.
1: he really only saw what they wanted him to see and that's why books like that are so amazing to read even a second or even a third time definitely the second time around because you just having that knowledge you really appreciate a lot of those the subtle hints that authors like Orson Scott Card can drop in situations like that to really like kind of lead you to the point that it's definitely heading towards the end but having read it for the first time, you might not have noticed. It might have just slipped by you.
0: Yeah, so many things that you didn't you didn't catch early on. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also towards the end there, because it was revealed to him that, like you said, there was such loss of life. uh, how much he just just empathized with everything and just felt it in himself, um, so that he even changed like his his goals in life immediately.
1: Yeah, and the books following reflect that. Like in, in even more incredible detail. I mean, the fact that you can feel it in those last couple pages, then just gets expounded
0: pages upon pages after that. Uh and that actually makes me think of: Did you read at the the books after that? Um, I read
1: Speaker for the Dead, but nothing after that actually. Sadly, that's since I've gotten the Kindle has been one of my on my to do list for sure. As big of a fan as I am of Ender's Game, the like the rest of the books definitely kind of slow down and pace a little bit. I mean, everyone always remembers and like loves and enjoys like the battle battle school aspect parts of Ender's sure. game. And yep. then you definitely got to have a little bit more of an analytical philosophical touch in order to enjoy and appreciate the books afterwards
0: is what I've always felt. I can get that. I actually haven't read any of the books after it yet. Um, though the way that you and Pat talk about it, I probably should get down on that, but that's now kind of and the thing about books is obviously you there's so many lists that you're like oh well I'll read this book like once I'm in between these two or like you know things unfortunately move farther and farther down depending on what you got because like pat has got me now uh I haven't yet but I'm going to download the Isaac Asimov uh series and start reading that soon uh, uh with the eye robots and whatnot
1: well I and that's a fantastic book as well so far as a I- just a kind of a mental trip almost all those are just like weird strange little puzzles because iRobot i mean a lot of people i feel have seen the movie with will smith running around blowing stuff up Mm -hmm. but the book just as a collection of short stories is in a similar way just kind of you've always got that reveal at the end of the story and it works out really well
0: seems like everyone's read those except for me i'm I'm, (laughs) i feel like i'm behind now uh
1: definitely worth a look iRobot's not too long it's a good read definitely recommend it
0: that's good um yeah, Ender's Game was pretty impactful. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we were
1: talking about, actually, how like, reading that through the second or even the third time, you you pick up and get a lot more out of a book with those kind of twist-reveal endings. But yep. even moving back to Captain Courageous, as you were talking about earlier, having watched that, I'm sure you've seen that more, you know, like even multiple recently. Multiple
0: times.
1: Does the does the impact remain the same? Was it only impactful at that one point in your life when you were younger and you were
0: able to empathize so much with the character or the, I think the impact stays similar uh, because I'm, I'm going to, I don't know if you can, I can really just, dis- okay, reset on how I'm describing this. <laughs> I'm one of those people who get very, I think empathetic is the word I'm looking for. Like I connect with, each character fully like if i'm reading a book i'm engrossed in the book and like i'm feeling everything the characters are feeling every time i read it every time i watch it um and i think even more so because i know about the story and i know about like backstories and like what's gonna happen like it even builds up even faster and more acutely for me because i put all the puzzle pieces together like right away it doesn't have to be figured out or built up I'm just like, yes, I'm crying now <laughs> because I know what's going to happen. just comes to the forefront that much quicker. It does. Um, actually, that leads into the the next one on my list where uh, you've seen parts of One Piece before. It's yeah, a that, Japanese I'm anime.
1: Very familiar with most of the characters, just by no means is as deep into it as it's been going on for years and years now.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's been going on for a long time. And uh, the basic uh, one piece is Luffy is a pirate. He wants to lead a crew to be like the best of pirates and he starts gathering these characters as he goes along from like island to island sailing the seas and they always it's I wouldn't say formulaic but it pretty much happens like where he meets the new person. They've got old past and luggage that they have to get rid of and usually it involves like some bad guys that uh, is trying to get them back or oppress them or things like that and Luffy uh, takes out the bad guy in this really emotional like leaderish kind of way and you know and so then they're added to the crew and there was a little bit of a, a difference in one of their crew members when robin became part of the crew she was actually one of the bad guys who stowed away on his boat because everything now like all the bad guys like they're put to ruin so like there's no organization anymore that she was a part of and so she's looking for, like, the next opportunity, so she joins this crew. And, of course, they're they're very hesitant at first, but she wins them over, and she becomes uh, a really integral part of the crew. Uh, but what happens later is the the world government, the, the Navy, uh, as it's represented by in the story, uh, finds her out. And so the Navy kind of represents, like, all the world and its power coming down on you. You know, like, big, huge battleships. Um, very powerful characters and whatnot. And so they, they steal her away. And now the crew is following through this city, through Enos lobby uh, to try and get her back. Cause they're part of, she's part of their crew. Like, you know, you don't leave a man behind you, all that kind of stuff. And so it comes to a head because she, throughout this, you're realizing that she thinks that she knows that trouble always follows her. That ruin always follows her, that whoever she's associated with eventually, ends up getting captured or killed or just like their lives ruined. And so she doesn't want this for her new friends because she considers them friends and she doesn't want this ruin to come upon them. So she's not like fighting the bad guys at all. She's just kind of going along with it and, and being dragged along uh, towards the end of the Island where the port is, where the, the ship to take her away is. But the crew members, they don't care about that. They're just chasing after her and the bad guys that are taking her away. And it finally comes to a big head, where you see, um, the bad guy has got Robin in his, in in his clutches. And across this chasm is the Captain Luffy, who's, you know, his jaw is set and he's ready to take action. All he needs to hear is from Robin's, uh, mouth is that she wants to live, that she doesn't want to be taken away and get executed, that she wants to live. And it just builds and builds and builds. And he finally, after the bad guy is like, you're, you're going up against the world government. You, you don't even know what, you guys are insignificant compared to this. And Luffy's like, I don't even care. I just don't care. And, you know, um, it finally goes to like Luffy just screams. He's like, Robin, tell me you want to live. And he's like, you know, in this big, uh, climax and she's, she's trying to hold back everything because she doesn't want to tell them that she finally is like, you know what? I, I think I, you know, I get to, I get to wish to live. And so she finally makes that decision and she's like, Luffy! I wanna live! And I'm just, every time I'm crying. Every time I'm just, tears are coming down my face. I can't help it. Because I've seen that episode multiple times. I can't help it, Zach. I just, Now I'm all emotional.
1: (laughs) Just even talking about it. I mean, I've never seen that episode. And even hearing you tell the story of it is just really, like you said, just everything coming to a head like that. I mean, that's exactly what it sounds like happened there.
0: And I'm not doing it justice at all. It is so intense and it is so like, oh, so I I would even put up like, you could just watch that one episode if you just want to have like all the feels for an (laughs) afternoon.
1: Regardless of whether or not you've experienced even some of the stuff before it, it's still just such a
0: a powerful transcendent moment. Yeah, and the and the voice acting's really good in that one, and so you really feel the the emotion and the intensity in everyone's uh what they're talking and yelling and, and whatnot. Um, but while I settle down, you uh you've got a different one. <laughs> sure.
1: I mean as long as we're on the on the track of anime, I'll go ahead and jump into my own. Yeah. And uh this is actually one of those ones that I'd I'd only seen recently. I'd really hardly watch any anime anymore, like if at all, but this was kind of one of those like boring summer kind of animes that I ended up just slipping into because it had gotten okay. some good reviews and I was curious about it. Uh, I'm not even going to butcher the the Japanese name, but the, the subtitle sure. is uh, The Flower We Saw That Day, I believe is what okay. it's called. And the story kind of just jumps in in the middle of this. Uh, the, the, there's a there's a main character It's like a young boy. Uh, he's like high school age, I want to say. Uh, just kind of like down in the doldrums, like very much hates going to school, never wakes up early or anything like that. Just very kind of depressed. And you really quickly find out that uh, a lot of the reason he's depressed is because when he was a child, he had this big group of friends. They just had like, the best time in the world. You know, like everybody I think has one of those experiences. You know, where like it was, you know, it's summertime and you're hanging outside with all of your friends and all your buddies, and you've got your own little your group and your own little games and inside jokes that you're all out and playing. Oh yeah. And uh, during one of these summers, sadly, one of their one of the female one of the little girls in the group passed away she like ended up it was a like a terrible accident she like basically ended up like falling off a cliff and like tripping and dying An intense tragedy yeah exactly and that's just like i mean to this day i mean it's like years and years later when the anime starts he's just like completely like crippled by it. like he can't even like his life is just kind of falling apart in front of him
0: he's and, almost like functionally catatonic
1: oh yeah truly and then um even in, just in that first episode of the show, like you know you've got a little bit of that backstory i've I've revealed it a little more quickly, so we don't have to give you guys the whole <laughs> the whole gist but um <laughs> in that first episode um basically the 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 ghost or the spirit of that little girl still appearing as she was when he knew her as a little girl basically like appears to him, and it's kind of an interesting show because you know like, you gotta it's a lot of people you know might struggle with or not you know like know how they feel about spirituality, but you kind of have to just put it on the. On the side when you're watching this show and just accept yeah. that, you know, like he, this, this is real to him and he sees her and basically over the next like series of episodes, it's just like how he's, it's like his journey to try and figure out, you know, like how he can like help her like get to rest and move, move on or whatever. So her spirit's no mm-hmm. longer trapped. So, so to speak on earth and. Through all that, he's he's not only you know like kind of like revitalizing and helping himself, but that entire little group of friends that had completely splintered off after that tragedy slowly kind of begins to grow back together because he basically looks crazy to the rest of the outside world because of the ways that he's talking to literally a ghost and just doing all this weird stuff that he hasn't been doing for years. Getting people back at the old clubhouse, like just everything's kind of flipping upside down because of what's happening. And then as the show goes on and on other people in the group, the younger kids, even the the, um, the little girl's parents start to, like, kind of believe, you know, like, maybe he really is, you know, like, seeing, like, regardless of whether or not he's actually seeing her and experiencing this, you know, like, something is really changing. And then slowly, again, the friends start to believe more and more. And then as those final, like, the finale, again, spoilers for the show, as the finale to the show kind of comes up and starts to culminate on the last, like, episode or two, the rest of that little group of friends can see her as well, and it's just a very, like, just a cathartic moment. Everybody, like, suddenly... Because as much as he's kind of coming to grips with her death and how that affected him, it affected everybody in the group in a very similar way, you know, like, right. with their relationships with each other, or however they dealt with, like, loss, or, you know, distancing themselves from each other, or that fun that they used to have. And so, like, it's just... So you've, you, like, you described very greatly in One Piece the release of emotion between Luffy and Robin, and I'm sure even the rest of the crew, um, but just all at once, like, this group of four, I forget, it's like four or five kids, just everyone just has their, like, own release of, like, emotion and sadness and just, like, tears everywhere, as, like, in the final, like, moments of the last episode, everyone says that, they, like, they can actually see this little girl oh wow while they're playing like they're like they used to play hide and seek all the time and the final line basically of the show when they all see ears, they all like are screaming out like we found you you know like we could and like it just means so much more than hey we see you we found you but like they were able to find like a little bit of themselves and who they used to be and that happiness yeah. that they thought went away but never never really did and like definitely like manly manly tears were shed. <laughs> and i've like talked with multiple of my other like friends who've seen this show since i've pushed it on them or they've pushed on me or whatever else and we all agreed yeah you know like feels were had feels were certainly had it's a wonderful show
0: and that that even that subject just kind of like the the subject of like extreme loss of a close person like a lot of us have experienced and so it kind of pulls at us um there's that idea that a lot of people who have experienced loss they they feel like there's part of them that they'll never be able to get back again And just that, like you said, towards the end, when they do get a little, a little sliver of that back, it means so much to everybody who's watching that because even just to get a little sliver of that back would mean so much to you, you know? So it's very personal.
1: Yeah. Loss is something I feel like everybody has experienced and really, I mean, you, and this show is a huge reveal to the fact that you never really have to lose that if you don't want to. I mean, your body and your mind forgets what it needs to forget but it, mm-hmm. it never has to forget anything that it doesn't want to forget and it's just a it's just a wonderful uplifting show as, as sad as the subject matter is and how integral the tragedy was to it like it they were they were definitely like smiling tears just like tears of just complete like like i said just utter like release emotionally for everyone involved in the show and for i'm assuming a lot of people watching it as well
0: and I don't know if this is fair to say as a generalization, but I I feel like a lot of times Japanese anime does such a better job of capturing real intense emotions in in such a way that you you can't help but just connect and feel with them, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's I don't know. That's how I feel.
1: Definitely, and so far uh, as cartoons are concerned, I've really seen any like Americanized yeah. cartoons where I've oh wow, you know, like the feels.
0: Yeah, <laughs> there's not a whole lot of feels on like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, <laughs> unless like someone like dropped a slice of pizza or something. Oh goodness, the the loss is real for everybody at that point. I think <laughs> even Shredder's like, oh, I can't believe it. Just a day um, of mourning. But yeah, speaking of loss, the the next one on my list, uh, it it was kind of interesting. Okay, so there's the show Mash. Uh I'm sure you've heard of it. Of course, it's an, yeah. It's an, it's an older show. Maybe not everyone's heard of it, but it's a, it's an older, I think around the seventies. It was a show that was about a, a mobile hospital unit in the Korean War. And, you know, so since they're not on the front lines, they're not actual soldiers. They're mostly doctors and nurses. The show can show more interactions between characters less necessarily like action and you know it also became kind of a a satire or commentary on like the vietnam war at the time so there's a lot of things that went on with it but these these characters initially you start feeling them out in every in every episode you know there's the goofy ones and you know the more militaristic ones and whatnot and there was a character uh colonel blake he was the commanding officer of the unit and even though he you know, was kind of lax as far as like the military discipline and whatnot. You know, he was still kind of like an endearing character to most of the other characters, and so people, you know, grew to love him like they all would in intense situations, like a war. Um, and so, a few seasons into it, I think it was like season three, uh, they they uh, they had where Colonel Blake got to go home finally because that was a big. Thing If you earned enough points or you were there over long enough or something happened that you were able to go home, everyone was happy for you uh, because no one wanted to be there. You know, obviously in a big in a war that, you know, there was death and disease everywhere that they were seeing. They never wanted to be there. They wanted to go home. And so there's the episode where it's leading up to uh, Colonel Blake uh, able to go home. People are saying goodbye. Mementos are exchanged. People are saying they're going to write letters and, like, there's all this emotional stuff. So you're already in, like, this emotional state because one of your favorite characters is leaving uh, the war and leaving the show. Uh, and then at the end of the episode, spoiler alert for MASH that's been out for, like, 40, 50 years. <laughs> feel like you're uh, safe. <laughs> someone's going to email us and be all mad about it. Um There's usually at the end of mash episodes, there's usually a scene where like they're at, they're in surgery. Everyone's wearing masks and like, they just kind of like pan across just kind of like a end to the end to the scene. Like you, you see that they're still like going about their business as usual. Well, in this uh, specific episode, the company clerk walks into surgery with a telegram in his hands and the tele he reads it off out loud as everyone else is performing surgery and assisting and whatnot that the, um the plane that Colonel Blake boarded to, fly to, I believe it's like Japan and then to home got shot down after it left the airport and that Colonel Blake died. And then they just pan across the, the, the surgery room and you just see people with like face masks on, like some people like just crying with their face masks on some people breathing heavily and just like such an emotional thing, but they all have to keep working. They have to still do surgery. They've got, you know, people's lives in the balance as they're taking this horrific news about someone that they loved, um, and you find out later that actually, in in the making of that show, that they the actors didn't know that that was going to happen. Um, they weren't able to read that part of the script, and they thought they were just recording a normal uh, like surgery scene. And then the the character who or the actor that plays uh, the company clerk walks in and reads that, so all of those reactions were real. You know, all of them were like being recorded, not acted. You know, they were just they really realized like what happened. And so it was just such a cool, such a cool episode that like really just impacted you and felt so real, you know? Mm-hmm. And
1: they ended the episode on that note.
0: Too? That's how they ended the episode. Oh My goodness. Like pan across the surgery room. You see all these reactions and then fade to black, wow. you know, credits roll. That takes it some was... stones right there to end an episode like that too. I'll tell you what. <laughs> it really did. And, and, you know that you bring that up it is uh it is a thing that it feels like sometimes people are afraid to leave episodes or movies on such a on such a sad or dire note Mm -hmm. whereas i think that you know that's good writing that you're able to do that at times
1: well and i'm even imagining like you know audiences at home like the first time that actually aired you know like yeah diehard mash fans like like you said it fades to black and like people just sitting speechless on their couch you know just like I mean, the character, regardless from what you're explaining, is leaving the show. So one way or yes. another, you know, he's by no means going to be on episodes anymore. But having, you know, to kind of like internalize in your own head that, like, no, he's he's gone, gone, is like yeah. an entirely different thing. And particularly for the, the time period the show was airing, too, it must have been very, very sensitive subject matter.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, especially you know while things were going on, that you know this was more real to them than it was to us. And yeah, so exponentially more more of the feels. Um yeah, now I'm remembering that. Sorry, I get too the I get too caught up in these things. These are real emotions in real times for me. Mm-hmm. Uh did you have another one, Zach? Oh goodness, I'm trying to think of
1: some more impactful stuff for me. Well I mean, we can I...
0: talk about the that not only the the sad stuff, but there's stuff that kinda like puts a little bit of terror and fear in us. Mm-hmm uh, as well um, there was a game like as PC gamers there's probably a couple of games that you could name off uh, that are kind of like a like you have like you just have to play these if you're going to call yourself a PC gamer which we both are <laughs> and one of them is Half-Life 2 uh, which was such a timelessly great game just as a whole and it, it made you go through ups and downs and lefts and rights of just throughout the entire game. And one of those times was as you're playing a what a scientist that's yeah. trying to like make his way through like a post-invasion city, I guess is what you would call it. Mhm. Definitely. Uh post-invasion city so like you don't see like you're you're on your own and the enemies that you have are like guys who are trying like the invaders who are trying to shoot you down and capture you. Uh there's also some uh monster alien like Creatures that attack you and try to, you know, kill you. And so it's kind of high energy, high tense throughout the, throughout the game. But then you enter this part of the city that's been completely um, abandoned because the monsters have been taking over so much that there's just, there's no human life left. You, you know, you're all, you're literally on your own. Uh, and that sit, that part was called Ravenhome, And. The the game designers and the writers did a really great job because they they just made it such like a a, a night and day kind of version uh, where you, you really felt like it was nighttime now. Um, things were dark. There were shadows around every corner. You didn't know what was going to come next. Um, usually, if you were dumb like me, you ran out of ammo pretty quickly because you didn't get any and there wasn't any ammo dumps in Ravenholm. And so you had to start like kind of uh, improvising with the objects around you. Got to get creative
1: with the gravity gun, for sure.
0: Yes, because you had the gravity gun with you, so you had to, like, use objects to fight off the monsters. And these are, like, scary monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, Which even
1: when you have full ammo or full anything else are... Are still, still scary. <laughs> yep.
0: And, you know, it's kind of, like, horror-like because there's, like, there's screams from, like, tortured things off in the distance, uh, you know, and, like, uh, humans, like, you can just hear them, like, screaming, like, these, like... Unenglishable screams and whatnot, um, which I don't know if you know, but the the sound bites that they used in in those for those characters and for those monsters for this the screamings is actually a guy screaming something that actually is uh, intelligible, like it's an actual phrase. But then they played it backwards for the sound clip. I don't know if you ever heard of that.
1: I I didn't realize that was the technique they used, but that's definitely what makes it distinctly human but also very distinctly not yeah and so it's just
0: like a little bit off and a little bit like oh what the heck is going on you know (laughs) right and it for for me it was I remember playing it still like in my old apartment with the lights out um just with my headphones on and so kind of like even added to the experience for me um did it did it affect you as much or were you just like no big deal
1: Yeah, and that's, I mean, again, like when I first started getting into PC gaming, that was definitely Mm -hmm. one of the games everyone's like, you have to, you have to play Half-Life. So going into that, you know, I hadn't played a lot of horror games or anything similar. And as you were saying and mentioning, you know, like as alone as you feel when you get in there and how scary and impactful that can be there are those moments where you run into uh the priest, like what his, what's his name, Father Gregory or something like I that? Think I think so, yeah. And that's like, those are such like almost comedic, like not quite because you're aware of like your situation and how terrible yep. and terrifying it is, but every time you run into him, you can't help but smile with just like this bat crazy old man with a shotgun taking on like literally every other zombie in this city with you. And yeah, that really, and... it serves very well to break up the, that loneliness.
0: Well, and it also kind of like, it gives, and it, it also, at the time when you would meet him, you'd get, like, a, kind of a breather for a minute. Mm-hmm. So you're just like, ah, ah, okay, uh, what's this guy talking about? Oh, this guy's crazy. Uh, <laughs> All right, buddy, uh, thanks for helping me out. I'm going to move along. And then, like, you know, he meets up with you again. You're like, okay, I guess this guy's helping me out. Um, but, like, am I going to turn into this guy? Like, this guy's nuts. Like, and he's just, like, living here. And, yeah, there's so many different things about that that game. And that part of that game that just, like, tense, and insanity, and um, just scares and gut feelings everywhere. right? And surprises that just, like, blow your adrenaline up, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. And as long as we're on the tangent of
1: horror games, actually, like, since then, I've played, like, I remember one of the ones which I really enjoyed was, um... Oh, goodness, I can't even remember the name of it right now, actually, come to think of it. It's, uh... Not Penumbra. No, not Penumbra. I mean, the way this tangent's eventually going to go is to Amnesia. I'm trying to remember the... (laughs) <laughs> the other one right now. Oh, goodness. I'm, I'm sh- again, I'm sure someone will email you. It was a game, basically, where you end up as kind of like a cop who's uh, framed for, like, a murder in, like, a, okay. like, a city that's, like, slowly going crazy. Mm-hmm. And it is a horror game. But, again, we you get back to that, like, point you were bringing up with Ravenholm where, like, you have guns and stuff like that, you know, and stuff. And while ammo is scarce, you do have access to stuff like that. Sure. I remember very clearly when I was comp- playing this game, like... There are certain points where, you know, like, you know, there's like, you just like having played enough games, you know, something's going to jump out at you, you Mm -hmm. know, like, it's still going to impact you along that way. But I eventually like, that's when I adopted the tactic of, you know, like, I know it's just a game and I can literally just like run through this level and it doesn't matter. You know, like I just sprint past. But then you take something like that and you go into a game like Amnesia, which again, I'm sure a lot of people have heard of. And that's impactful in such a different way because you really don't have a weapon. There is literally no way to fight back against the evils and the horrors of that game. And there is no running per se from them either. So you really have to sit there and face and like be a part of and absorb that impactfulness into you. But at that same point in time, like as scary as I felt amnesia was in certain games like it, I've had other friends who've, like, claimed when they've played it, they're like, oh, I wasn't scared, you know, I wasn't worried about it at all, and that honestly kind of, like, almost irked me a little bit when people were bringing that up, because I feel like the, um, the stigma surrounding that game is so where people are like, this is, like, or at least for the time it came out, was one of the scariest games that had been, like, released and was, like, hailed for the way that it tried to do horror and recreate it a little bit. Right. And so you really had to, when you were playing that game, just like you said when you were doing Ravenholm, sit in your room, turn off the lights, put some headphones on, really like immerse yourself and almost kind of want to be scared a little bit, which is really strange. And I feel like some of my friends or like other people who I've heard have played the game at points in time were like adamant to not be scared by it, and by not immersing themselves in it and letting them be impacted by it, then it wasn't as fun and it wasn't you know, it wasn't it just wasn't as scary because they didn't they didn't want it to be scary.
0: Yeah and You know, that kind of actually comes back to why I wanted to do this episode to begin with, because I think so many times when we, when we talk about, uh, media and stories and whatnot, it's, it's easy for us to sit down and be critically thinking, but then end up to be critical and maybe overly as such about the things that we should just love and enjoy, um, you know, like, you've got, like, those friends, just like you were saying, like, oh, man, I wasn't scared. Like, they're they're not willing to sit and, and have an experience and, you know, immerse themselves into it, which, you know, kind of, I mean, it just sucks for them, like, not for me, because I'm able to, you know, enjoy that stuff. <laughs> true but, like, enough, true enough. You know, you also have those people who walk out of the movie theater, and immediately when they walk out the door, they start going, like, oh, that movie, like, da-da-da-da-da, it had this and this and this and this. It's like, yeah, but didn't you have a good time? And you know, I've been guilty of that myself, you know, like I remember uh, this is obviously a tangent from what we're talking about. But like uh, the first or the second, the latest Star Trek film, uh, I had some big hang ups about the film that like immediately when our group left the, the theater, I started like ranting about. It. And one of my my friends looks at me and like I'm like in the middle of my rant. He's like, yeah, but Matt, it's it's Star Trek. And I like, even like my rant even gets even more urgent. I'm like, no, but this and this and this and this. And they're like, did you have a good time? Did you enjoy? I'm like, yeah, it was a great time. They're like, well, then just let it be at that for a minute at least, you know? And, you know, we, we, we have such a, it's so easy to like, just go kind of like critical and think of things academically or intelligently, but not share like why we love things and like what it impacted us in, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. There's a lot of truth, I think, kind of to that, that slow burn for those things, which you might not be so keen on just like accepting and letting impact you immediately. You know, like there is, there's a lot of like good points to just stepping back and taking a breath and like kind of realizing what you enjoyed, didn't enjoy like anything for any other reason.
0: Right. And you know, even bringing it back to Half-Life, like we're talking about it, like it's such a great game. Like that, that game came out in, 99, 98, maybe? No. That's an
1: oldie. I I think it's got to be at least into 2000. Yeah,
0: Yeah, like 2003, maybe. But that's still, that's like, as far as video games go, that's ancient. That's like like drawings on a cave, you know? And Mm -hmm. so the game itself, like, I'm sure if, like, some kid loaded it up right now after playing, like, the Call of Duties and all the modern stuff that we play, they they would probably not be able to immerse themselves they would look at it and be like oh look at these graphics like oh it's so bad and yada 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 and like oh look at the play style and the the you know whatever whatever and it's kind of sad that they wouldn't they might not necessarily be able to enjoy it like you and i have uh because we were able to, like you know for that at that time it was uh still such a just such a great game as a whole and like we're able to enjoy it as as that and not have things like hangups like that affect us as much
1: right and even in the point that we are now i think there's definitely a lot to say about you know just like nostalgia factor in general for these these impactful things that were impactful to us might not be something like i mean you might be sharing uh captain courageous with somebody else and that holds so true and so like important to you for such a long time but for someone who that didn't affect them at a certain point in their life it very well might not impact them the same way
0: Or even, like, we, I'm sure, I don't, I can't think of anyone specifically in the group of friends that I have, but I'm sure there's people in everyone's group who, like, even the simplest thing of, like, a black and white film, like, they wouldn't be able to appreciate it at all for, you know, if it's not, like, modern or anything like that, like, they just don't want to watch it, which is probably, like, one of the saddest things I've ever said.
1: Mm -hmm. And certainly a lot of progress has been made in storytelling and films, video, whatever medium you're into. Right. But there is there's definitely still, again, if you take the time to kind of just step back and appreciate it for what it is currently and even what it was at the time you know like that's why you can consider games like half-life or books like ender's game like classics you know like that that there's like a certain connotation to that word
0: yeah absolutely um so we've talked about some pretty intense stuff uh very emotional very sad mm-hmm. very scary tense. do you have yeah, any
1: yeah, happy impactfulness that's well, to
0: you? I mean, like I've had a lot of ones where like you just get kind of like that that smile on your face that like you kind of feel like you're out in a in a, a like a green meadow sunshine mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And there's a lot of those. But um, have you ever had any like not cheesy as in haha, but like you, you get like a you get a little bit of the feels, but it's kind of like the the show is not like that serious. And so you're like. Oh, yeah, I cried at this point. Like, you know, like, okay, make fun of me, guys. Like, um, well, let me just give you an example. Yeah, hit me with something. So, uh, since the Avengers came out, there's been a, a TV series called Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Right. And I think, like, ABC's doing it. I never remember anymore because I watch it all online, so I don't know, like, what network picks it up. But it's very episodic. Like, these guys are flying around in their, in their flying fortress and they're finding alien technology. And, you know, fighting against, um, like Hydra, the old, uh, enemy. Right. And so it's very like kick butt kind of, you know, film, like a, like a Starchy and Hutch, I guess, or I can't, like a, I can't think of anything else, but, um,
1: so. <laughs> Ordering <the>, on generic.
0: <laughs> yeah. So the stakes aren't that high, you know, in the stories, but, um, there was one episode where there's a, there's a scientific duo. Uh, Fitz Simmons one of the the guy's last name is Fitz and the other and the girl's last name is Simmons so that's kind of how they refer to them all the time (laughs) and uh, they they found this uh, alien technology actually left over from their their callback to the Avengers movie when they fight fight off all the aliens there was a helmet left over and people whoever's been touching these this helmet gets infected with this disease that they eventually just combust they just explode like literally like wipe off an entire floor of a building explode kind of deal. That's some, int- that's some intense combustion. Right it's there. kind of intense combustion, but it's still kind of like, Oh, if you get this disease, you blow up. Like, you know, it's, n- <sighs> that it kind of sounds weird. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it's still, you know, it's not usually cause like they don't really show like violence and violence. Like, you know, it's just all talked about. Like you right. just see like, it's never bombed out room and they're like, Oh, someone exploded here. Someone that you, like, we didn't set up any characters and that you don't care about. Um, but then Simmons touches the helmet and she gets infected and they, they kind of, they can narrow down like the time frame when this is going to happen to like pretty precise, you know, because they're scientists and they figure this stuff out and they're studying it. And so it starts coming to the time where they know that she's gonna explode and they haven't figured out a cure for it at all. So, she knows that she's gonna explode. They're on this flying fortress trying to get to uh another lab that can maybe figure this out, but they don't have time. And Fitz is trying to frantically like find a cure. He's like, No, we're gonna find a cure, because you know, he cares for her because they've you've been together for so long, and you find out later, spoiler alert, he really likes her.
1: Mm, surprise, surprise. Yeah, I know,
0: right? And uh so he's frantically trying to find this cure and she's realizing that no, this isn't going to happen. So she locks him in to the lab, with these like bulletproof doors that are there and like puts in her coat so that can't be broken. And she opens up the, the doors in the back of the plane so that she's going to jump out and, and he's realizing what she's doing. And he's screaming from the other side of the door, like you can't do this. We're going to find a cure. You can't do this. And she just looks at him like, uh, like that she knows that this is going to hurt him and she's really sorry. And she's like saying it all with her face, you know, and she's crying and she jumps and I'm just like losing it because I'm one of those people that like, you can get me with like the easiest stuff. If you essentially, if you make the cute girl cry, you have now made me cry <laughs> because I'm like, no, don't cry. Simmons. No, Sympathetic cry or mad over here. I just, just like any cute, like it, it's even happened like with other stuff where like the bad guy who's been a girl, They've had her cry and like my friends are like, Why are you crying? She's the bad one. And I'm like, I don't care, she's crying, just shut up. Shut up. Mm-hmm. Um Thankfully though, Simmons does get saved. Of course, because they they can't have high stakes there. But anyways, I still cry, it doesn't matter.
1: She jumped out of an airplane. How do they save her after that? Yeah, that seems ridiculous.
0: So uh another character in the show is like the, the like the badass secret agent kind of guy. mm mm-hmm. And he's like up because like this is a huge plane so he's like up on another level and he like he like they they i think they got like an alarm that the bombay doors were opening or whatever and you know they see video that she's like about to jump out so he runs past some conveniently hung up parachutes grab ones for himself (laughs) runs down the stairs run out the door jumps out the door and saves her you know like he like everyone expected him to um Right. Very yeah. cheesy in cheesy style. In cheesy style. And so like you can't, you know, like some people would make fun of you cuz like they're like, "Oh, this is a cheesy show. Like why are you putting in like stakes or like uh sympathy or empathy into it?" And I'm just like, "Cuz right. I do. Cuz she cried." <laughs> I guess
1: the I guess the closest I could ever get to that. Did you ever see the movie uh August Rush before? Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Now, first of all, love the music in that movie. If you haven't seen that movie and you're like a kind of a music buff, definitely I'd say worth it just simply for the soundtrack. I love but- the
0: soundtrack. I own the soundtrack.
1: Oh, so good. Again, just about as cheesy as it gets, you know, like little or little orphan boy finds like his family, his happiness, whatever, you know, like I mean you can't really you can't really get much more Hollywood cheesy than that. Sure. But I still very distinctly remember, you know, not not bawling necessarily, but like at the end, like in the movie theater, seeing that movie, like when I was a little bit younger, like being like, Oh wow, you know, single that that was a single manly tier moment where it's just like even though, you know, like, again, like you said, you can see it coming a mile away. Of course he's going to find his parents. Of course it's going to be a great moment when, you know, he's at his his triumph. But it was still just a very, like, just a, a very happy moment. And I couldn't help but feel a little bit there, too.
0: And, yeah, you're just like, they found each
1: other. Because oh. all you want for him that entire movie is just like a little bit of happiness. The whole movie is just him getting stepped on for so long. And you can't help but enjoy a little bit when
0: something goes right. Um, that actually brings up a, uh, a, so we're talking about like cheesy crying and like stuff that is kind of silly that you're, you're crying to this stuff and whatnot. Um, and I'm saying you in general, like you and I obviously are admitting that we do this stuff.
1: Um, there is a I'll deny it for, forever, even though this is completely recorded and on
0: the internet for everyone to see. I'll never admit it. <laughs> Don't worry guys. It's just between us. Uh, there's a, an actual website called CryingWife.com. I don't know if you've ever heard of this.
1: <laughs> no, I can't say Ash.
0: So this guy literally records his wife because she n- is notorious for crying at the, like the end of every movie. Uh, and I, I think I only saw the Lord of the Rings one where like at the end she's just bawling. She's like, they're such good friends. <laughs> and she's just like losing it. And it's kind of funny. You know, it's just kind of silly. Yeah. Like you and I are admitting it's, it's pretty fun. So if you ever want to check that out, cryingwife.com. Um, I'm I'm assuming that most wives would not like this website. <laughs> um,
1: and you've almost got, I know, the opposite end of the spectrum. You see these all the time, like on different websites, where you've yeah. got parents taking photos of their children who are crying for almost no reason at all. <laughs> right. <laughs> I wouldn't let them open the Cheerios.
0: I, like, or I got a banana they didn't get a for my toilet. birthday. Yeah, just, all that kind of stuff. Uh, um. Yeah, and it's tears just can f- be funny. The fun part of our experience is because that's that's part of a shared experience too. Like when when you come out of a movie like that and you've got your friend who's who's three seats down he's balding you've got like the friend next to you who's like the manly man who's trying to hold it all back but you can tell he's obviously having emotions like these are all part of the experiences that we share and that we have and it makes it even better for us you know mm-hmm. um I think do you have any more because I've got one last one
1: well I would just as long as we're still on the subject real briefly I'd like to tangent into that tangent away uh, we we're talking friend. a bit about that cheesiness factor you know yeah. when things go exactly as we expect them to in shows like that again almost it doesn't have a lot to do with impactfulness but we're going to get into game of thrones a little bit have you, have you delved into that world at all ever
0: i am planning on if i do see it i'm planning on waiting to like it's all done like dvds out fair enough kind fair of enough. stuff because that is such a uh, commitment but it's just such a endeavor to get into oh, that,
1: it, it's definitely it's dense. It's a it's a commitment. I think that was the right word that she used there. Yeah, and I've been trying my best to to read the books before the show. I'm by no means like one of those purists who's like, oh god, I'll never one way or the other. <laughs> but um, regardless, the the sentiment of the show, I think almost everyone knows, regardless of whether or not they've um seen the show or read the books, that uh, George R. R R Martin is very well known for killing off a lot of his characters. And there's a great little bit of an interview that I saw with him the other day directly kind of being a foil to the what we were talking about earlier with how mm-hmm. easy it is for some characters in certain movies or shows or books. Just like, you know, they're the hero. If there's going to be another movie, they're not going anywhere. You know, if there's another episode, if this isn't the sp- yeah. season finale of a show, nothing's going to happen. They, right. they can't go anywhere. And George R. 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 Martin was explaining in a lot of his books that while there is that feeling in a lot of pervading media in the industry right now, that he wants that impactfulness, that actual, like, that honest-to-goodness fear of, like, readers and fans to know that no one is safe, you know, like, that at any moment, any of those characters, and that carries its own sort of, like, a constant, subtle impact, sort of, on, like, someone's psyche, like, reading those books and watching those shows. After the very first one, you immediately know, like, nothing is sacred and nothing is safe, and that's, like, a really kind of terrifying slash just, like, edge-of-your-seat kind of feeling that you'll you'll really get reading his books, and I thought that was just a... A really fascinating thing that that's the reason he takes that stance is to kind of sort of fight against that very, you know, like, oh, the tried and true, the hero must always win
0: kind of aspect. Yeah, and it is very unique. Uh, that, that is not the norm at all in most storytelling in popular media. Mm hmm.
1: Most people want to feel good when something's all wrapped up and everybody, the good guys won and the bad guys lost. And there, there really are no good guys or bad guys depending on how you look at it in Game of Thrones. It is just, it's just chaos. It's pretty. It's it's a pretty good thrill ride. Once once it's all out, I'm excited to hear what you think of it.
0: Oh yeah, and I'll I'll if I do watch it, I'm probably gonna like binge on it, and then like <laughs> you know I'll come that'll
1: out. That will be an emotional binge for you, sir. I tell you what, that'll be an emotional binge.
0: It'll be like the the DVDs will come out. I'll finally have accrued like enough personal days to like you know you <laughs> see me coming out with like my shirt like half on. I'm rubbing my eyes because of the sunlight. And just like, okay, I did it all, you know? Um, and like, you know, you just see like my mascara is is uh, coming down because I've been crying so much and for some <laughs> reason I put on mascara before I started watching this. I don't know why, yeah. you know?
1: I mean, that sounds like a podcast in and of itself. Once once Matt's Game of Thrones binge is done, he's escaped from the cave. Let's hear what he has to say.
0: And just turn on the recorder and just, just cry all my feelings out. <laughs> um. The last one for me is kind of, it's not like a, it's not a happy, it's not a sad, it's not, it's, it's so many, like just, it's kind of like, um, kind of like you, you know that, that when, uh, you go to like a concert and you're standing next to a speaker and you can literally feel like in your chest the, the, the sound and whatnot. Right. That subwoofer is really, really hitting you. Yeah. The, it's kind of like that. But like excitement and happiness and, and adventurous and all that stuff put together just like hits your chest. Uh, mm-hmm. so, uh, I got, I, I had the pleasure to see, um, the Broadway musical Wicked before it was done in Chicago and before Adina Menzel was done doing it. Uh, me and three of my other friends went down to Chicago when we saw this. And if anyone knows Wicked, they, they're going to know it. This is mostly for Wicked fans. They're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, before intermission, there is this huge buildup with the popular song Divine Gravity. Uh, I don't know if it's the most popular, but it, anyone who's ever heard of Wicked, like, knows what Divine Gravity is.
1: I've never even seen it, and I, I know that song.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so there's this whole buildup of this music, and it's a, you know, it's obviously a, a a live, uh, orchestra in the pit that's playing this, and, uh, Adina Menzel is belting out these lyrics like she does. And they, as the, the song is building and the song is building, they actually raise her up. So she's like now flying above the stage. Her, you know, her black dress now becomes like part of the stage. It's so epic, so big, so over the top that they, you know, they finish the song and the lights come up for intermission. And I look at my friend Nate. And if my jaw could comically like hit the floor, it would have, cause like my jaw <laughs> was open for like a minute and a half straight. I had no responses. I couldn't, like we just had eye contact and our jaws were just wide open out of just, we couldn't handle what just happened, you know? Um, and then we finally breathed you know, eventually. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, we had to go through the second half, which was, you know, fantastic as well, but like, it, I don't even know what word would describe that kind of just impact, like hit you in the chest, everything kind of scene. And it was done so well and it was just perfect. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I think awe inspiring gets close. Yeah. Awe inspiring. Um, and I will say even this, I don't listen to the song very often cause you never want to like over listen to something like that. But every time I do, I literally get goosebumps physically mm-hmm. get goosebumps listening to that song just because I'm like my body's like remembering that experience you know
1: mm-hmm. it just sounds like it's like and then from what I remember of the content of the song too it's a very kind of empowering like uplifting sort of kind yeah. of message
0: to it just builds up and up and up and up and up right Um, and
1: you can't help but kind of empathize and ride
0: that high along with it it seems which and as a tangent i'm very glad that no one tried to sing along with that because (laughs) earlier in the show that night some girls behind us some like high school girls started singing along with the the song popular and we were not happy we did not that'll
1: that'll rip you right out of the moment (laughs) yeah i did not
0: come and have my friend Give us tickets, so he paid the money. But I did not have my friend pay the money for us to come here and listen to you sing these epic songs. You shut your mouth. I'm just gonna say that now. <laughs> I think it's alright to put your foot down?
1: Uh, yeah, you know, like right five
0: years later, not in front of them. Put my foot down. That's I did it. I'm a man's man. <laughs> I really <laughs> stepped up, standing up for what you believe in, man. Watch, like somehow they're gonna listen to this. They're gonna come find my house, and I'm gonna be like, no, don't hurt me.
1: <laughs> here we go we got matt crying at the end of most movies and afraid of uh little high school girls
0: yeah but don't worry i'm just i'm a manly man it's okay
1: of course yes the beard the the goatee speaks to that <laughs>
0: <laughs> you can obviously see that on the podcast my my facial hair don't worry guys just, it's there. The, the
1: tone of the voice just speaks to manly facial hair for sure
0: hopefully more than the visual because yeah this uh this is an audio only podcast um but yeah that was kind of you know that i feel like we got across what we what we kind of wanted to get across like the Mm -hmm. just the basic idea like guys experience this stuff don't don't just go to see something or mindlessly watch it you know like i feel like i'm maybe stepping on some people's toes but i feel like things like reality tv and whatnot have like enabled us to, like, even more than before, like, just mindlessly watch stuff and just sit in front of a TV or or a movie theater or whatnot. But, like, these things, these stories should be experienced. They should be thought-provoking and whatnot, you know?
1: Oh, I definitely have to agree. I mean, taking that time, that's that's really kind of what makes us human in the end is the way that we can connect with art in any form, really, regardless of where we're, we're getting it from.
0: Exactly. I think that's what we should do. Um so what we do here at Never Ending Narrative, if you don't know, we end each uh, episode with a phrase of the day, if you will. And today we have red tape. Have you ever used heard that used before? Like, the,
1: the phrase red tape? Yeah, like we got to get like through the cutting red tape. Through red, mm-hmm. Yeah, of
0: course. Uh, do you know where that came from? Or like what that, uh, first of all, what does that imply? What does that mean?
1: Alright, well okay, so here let let's let Zach Moore venture I guess, here. Now any anytime I've ever heard red tape, it's usually kinda had like a governmental sort of connotation to it, like yep. the way like files would be wrapped in like red tape, meaning they were like unaccessible by You know, like people without the proper clearance, like they were never meant to be opened. Really, like when you're cutting through red tape, you're going through that bureaucracy, that bureaucracy, that like governmental
0: aspect of trying to keep you, keep you down, and keep you away. You've you've pretty much nailed it on the head. Yeah, all right, you've got it. Uh, yeah. Um, what it used to be was official documents used to be bound with red tape. Uh, when they were like sent to different agencies and organizations and whatnot. Uh, and so, yeah, it refers to kind of the rigidity of the bureaucracy of like militaries and governments and things like that to the point where it's like unnecessary paperwork that you kind of got to just get through. Um, and yeah, like you said, it refers to like cutting the actual like red ribbons to open up those files and get things done. Um, yeah. So you actually, I think you're the first person to like figure out fully, like hit it on the head. Congratulations, my friend.
1: (laughs) Where's my medal? I need a medal.
0: Where's the podcast (laughs) medal?
1: There should be a Hall of Fame up on the website. People who have guessed the phrase of the day.
0: (laughs) You say it with such, like, elegance and and regalness. People who have figured out the phrase of the day. (laughs) Mm, Indubitably, my dear Zach.
1: Mm, Yes, quite the red tape as
0: described thusly. (laughs) Um... Well, I just want to say thank you to Zach for coming on today. And oh, Well, thank you. Appreciate it. Oh, man. This has been such a good time. And if you guys want to send us uh, any emails about what's made you cry those single manly tears or bald like a baby in front of your friends, uh, you can email us at neverending narrative at com. You can tweet at us at ne narrative um, or does Zach, do you have a Twitter account that uh, people can reach out to?
1: Oh gosh, not that's active, guys, and
0: I hate to disappoint my fans, Ooh. you know. Here, but <laughs> well, we'll make sure that any emails that get to us about this episode or anything that's tweeted at us will definitely come to you. And, oh, I'd love
1: to hear about it. And uh, we'll... definitely, yeah, don't limit yourselves to uh, just those sad moments, too, guys. Whatever, whatever you felt really, really hit you guys,
0: hit you guys hard. Yeah, whatever just impacted you, we'd love to hear about. Um, so thanks again, guys, and that was uh, this week's episode of Never Ending Narrative. Oh!